Have you ever absolutely panicked after you accidentally deleted a file on your computer? I know I have. It's not an issue if you've got CrashPlan Smart Recovery. Your files are just a few clicks away and can be restored in a snap. CrashPlan provides the best cloud backup solutions in the market. Visit CrashPlan.com slash BossProject for 50% off your first year of CrashPlan. Now you can protect all your work with an unlimited backup and recovery solution. CrashPlan makes it simple to restore some or all of your data. And with unlimited version retention, CrashPlan can be your ultimate rewind button. Get unlimited computer backup for you or your business with CrashPlan Professional. CrashPlan backs up files that live on your computer and works with PC, Mac, and Linux. Don't let data disasters slow you down. CrashPlan has your back and keeps you moving. Go to CrashPlan.com slash BossProject for 50% off your first year of CrashPlan. That's CrashPlan.com slash BossProject for 50% off your first year. Back up better with CrashPlan. I have been waiting over a week and we are both finally caught up now on every episode of the latest season of Love is Blind. I also should have sent you this article last night. Brian sent me an article that I want to have a conversation about because it's kind of a think piece on the show in general and like, is it harmful? Is it fine? What changes should they make to the show? And you and I already suggested a change and are on the same page. And so we'll talk about that. But initial thoughts post reunion, where are you at? Who do you love? Who do you hate? Well, it's hard to because so I took notes because I wanted to be as honest with myself Uh, What I was thinking in the middle of it versus what I think by the end of it. Uh And the interesting thing that really caught me off guard is throughout the whole season, I just kept feeling like Cole was misunderstood as a human. Uh And absolutely, he puts his foot in his mouth and like needs to work on a filter. But I truly, if I'm... I can't self-diagnose someone with no medical background, number one, but two with, it's not my place. Before you even say, obviously there are spoilers. We're going to say all the things. You're listening to this by like middle of December. So if you haven't watched it now, I don't know you. That's on you. This is on you. Okay. Continue. (laughs) Continue. I'm glad you're starting with this conversation because I have an opinion and I want to hear yours first. I want to hear your take on them. Yeah. So I have felt for a while that Cole is neurodivergent and potentially on the spectrum, which again, not my place to decide if that's true or not. And so a lot of the things he's saying, I think are him thinking his thoughts out loud. I also think he's an auditory processor, but if we really analyze tone of the way he talks most of the time, he's saying things like he's thinking them. And then like, I do think a lot of times it comes from a genuine place of concern. Now, that being said, I also fully believe that women should be listened to and we don't know what happens behind closed doors. And so when everyone was defending Zenob, I was like, ooh, like, what did I miss? Like, what did I not see? And then obviously the Clementine clip came up. And they played it. And I was like, I truly believe that everyone has their own reality that they live in. And I don't necessarily disagree that Zenob, is that how you say her name? Zenob. Zenob. Mm -hmm. Zenob. I think her version 
is based in her own set of insecurities and her own like issues. And so do I think she took it the way she said she took it? Yes. But do I think what he was saying was harmful? No, I think it was a very normal conversation. But again, I don't think. Okay, I want to speak to that. And let's connect it to the pool scene when like Cole was apologizing for the pool scene and people were bringing it up. There was a moment in the reunion where Brian and I paused and asked each other, do you think that what Cole and Colleen, the conversation they had right off the top, do you think it was inappropriate? The conversation. I think it depends on how you interpret the situation they're in. I think if he was actually engaged in a real world scenario, then absolutely not. It would have been. But that's not what happened. But so in their scenario, was it inappropriate? In their scenario? No, because they'd just been dating. They had just met in real life to like assume that the feelings were gone or that we don't have some opportunity to analyze what just fucking happened. Like, I think that's a little bit unfair. Do I think it's inappropriate through the lens of the fact that he was engaged? Yeah, but like... But you also just dated 14 other people a week ago. Like, we're talking about... not in a real world. We're talking about days difference here. Like, we're not... This is not... I've been engaged for three years and like... No. So, no. I'm so glad we're on the same page. I 100% agree with you. We, Brian and I both spit out at the same time. It's not inappropriate when they just kept badgering him about how inappropriate it was and bringing what was honestly like a very base, like how he handled it after the fact, how Bartice handled that conversation after the fact, when his conversation with Raven, both of those were inappropriate ways that, that they handled the telling of the partner, but the actual feelings and saying the things in the pool, not inappropriate. You are literally just dating a couple of days ago. The entire experiment is to teach you of like which connection is more important, an emotional or physical one, and to expect participants to process all of that and decide for themselves within hours and days is not acceptable. Like that's not actual reality. And then the whole Clementine story, I hundred percent agree with you as well. Are there things that we don't know that happened and were said there were definitely insinuations within the group where there was a lot that we as the viewers don't know. I believe that. Absolutely. I do. And There are more toxic characters on that show than Cole. Oh, 100%. And no one is talking about them. No. At all. And I 100% agree with you. I do think there's some neurodivergency going on. He is a verbal processor. I love that they aired the cutie scene. I do too. I honestly feel like it was like Netflix. He would have been, he would have been dragged under the bus and had a really miserable life after that if they hadn't aired that one scene. She's sitting here saying it's 2 p.m. I haven't eaten all day and he's telling me to save my appetite. First of all, that's not what happened. It was 4.40 p.m. The clock is right behind you, babe. We all saw it. Dinner reservations at 7. Me and Brian have had the same conversation. Absolutely. He's, he's reaching for something in the fridge. I'm reaching for something. And one of us is like, oh, remember, we're going to a really yummy restaurant at 7. Don't you want to like save it? Like, because we're about to pig out. And he kept doing, he's like, was doing the motions. Like, it's going to be this big spread. Yeah. But even more than that. That clip showed me that I believe I'm on team Cole in the sense where he said, I feel like you're lying when you say X, Y, Z. I feel like she's lying when she says, 
I didn't know I was going to say no until I was at the altar because her body language versus his body language and participation in the conversation about going to Europe or going to England for her family. She was shutting that down every time he brought up a potential solution to seeing her family. She was not participating in that conversation. She was not planning to go do that because she knew she was going to say no. And the way that her, she's like standing with her arms crossed, standing in the corner, closing in her body, he's sitting here legitimately planning their future because he thought both of them were going to say yes. Yeah. And the really sad thing is like, I do think in some ways, especially when he brought up earlier, you know, I want someone, what did he say? It wasn't nicer. Definitely wasn't the word he used. Kind. I think he said kinder, like kinder, like fun. He, he's know. the words of affirmation person. He, he, That's what he was he wanting. He wants someone more lighthearted mm-hmm. and like yeah. playful. And yeah. she's just a lot more serious than I had anticipated for him as a human. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And like, I know he was trying to make it work because I do genuinely believe he loved her. And probably still does because he just. I agree. I, how he was acting. How he reunion. acted the reunion. Like he was I like, hope- I didn't reach out because I was heartbroken and I was yeah. confused. And I hope he goes to therapy to process this oh, honestly. No. And she needs to go to therapy as well. A lot of them do. But he is like something broke in him mm-hmm. because of that experience. And that oh, makes me very sad. so sad. Because no one's talking about what an absolute talk sick trash hole human Matt is no let's talk about that because literally the moment they showed her body language he's not safe I was like she is terrified to be here right now she is terrified what will come up and what the repercussions are and I was just and so there's this psychological tick that some people do when they're lying, when they're coming up with the story that's going to make everyone look the best. And they do two things. They add way too much detail and they sometimes stumble over their words if they're nervous and they go back. And she did that multiple times. So specifically when she was talking about why they don't live together and the reason behind it, she restarted that story three different times cut herself off multiple times throughout that story because it comes off as one of those, like we tried to rehearse what our angle was going to be to justify the fact that we don't live together and what she wants to say about why they don't live together. She feels like she can't say. And so she's like, Oh, well, after the wedding, like after all, you know, it's just this big kind of complex event. Like there was no actual full sentence that she said. And so her stumbling over her words and him just like being like hover close, not like cute close, but hover close was really uncomfortable to watch. It was so hard to watch. Like I was genuinely concerned for her. So another concern that I have of them is... I went and looked at his Instagram, who he follows on Instagram. Have you seen this? Oh, no. Do you want to know how many right wing nutty bat shit people he follows? Joe Rogan, Tucker Carlson, Donald, and his son. Multiple people that are literally criminals he follows. I wish the show would support her well all of them honestly with more access to mental health therapy and processing Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. like it's so bizarre to me they do the interviews 
they do, you know, they ask them the questions, but like compared to other reality shows, this is one of the few ones where they're just like following them with cameras and like letting it come right unfold. Right. Even in like 90 day fiance, they have like, you go to therapy together and you chat Mm. and like, and I haven't watched that one. And, you know, they have different experiments that they have you work on to, like, help like team build together or this. And there's, like, things that they're physically working on to really enhance the relationship. Mm -hmm. And my concern Mm -hmm. is because they're all flying so solo and this is so radically different than any scenario they would be in in real life. Yeah. That that is so concern. (laughs) Cheers. Cheers for Raven and SK. Oh, Yes, I, I was, was so devastated when oh. he said no. And I got it though. I totally understood it. And I told Brian before their wedding, because at first I did, I had a hard time liking Raven. Came I around too. for me. I had a couple struggles with her from the beginning. I think that, and she has said this where she said, I don't know how to open up and I don't know how to be vulnerable. But once she does, you get a more authentic version of her. I think that she could work on that some more, but I think that they were finally getting closer to that. And so when, you know, he was going to grad school in California, she was going to stay in Dallas. She didn't want to move. And I told Brian, I said, I honestly think that's the best case scenario. Like, I do think they should get married. I think that they're great together. And living apart for two years is only going to help them like figure out their relationship instead of being forced to like live together. And now we're here full time. And like, they could have a more normal relationship, even though they're married. And I speak from that only because I have experience long distance and it actually worked for us. It worked for me. And so that's where I was coming from. But then he said no. And the mom was devastated and then had the moment with Raven. And I was crying and I was so sad because I knew Raven expected him to say yes. And I knew Raven was going to say yes. I was ecstatic when it turns out they are still dating. Yes. And talk about obviously such a healthy perspective. I feel like SK was, while obviously had his own set of cultural differences that Mm -hmm. that can provide a challenge in a relationship, I think him as a human being, he was one of the top in my mind that had his life together and like his personal shit worked out. Like he knew what he was looking for. He knew what he needed in a partner and he wasn't going to compromise, but like not in a like toxic way. It right. was like, I know what I need to be supported. And I also know we can get on the same page with time. Exactly. Mm-hmm. And like, what a beautiful thing. And then like being honest with himself, you know, what I was, you know, surprised how far Raven had come by the time they got Agreed. to the wedding. Cause I had thought for a long time that he would say yes and she would say no. And then when we got there, I was like, oh, they're definitely going to both say yes. And then was so devastated. But when he started talking about the reasons, like it wasn't a lack of love. It was literally just like logistics. And is our lives going to make sense together if we're living in two different places? And, you know, it was a genuine concern for do we want the same things? And that is a reason not to get married. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And the fact that they've been working so hard on it is such a testament. And I now follow Raven on TikTok and she is so cute and very Mm -hmm. in love. And they're both just like 
working on themselves and building their own little empires and congrats to them both. I love it. Alexa and Brennan, I've loved them the whole time. I knew they were going to get married. It was really great to see her like open up and be a little bit vulnerable at the reunion because she is so like, like sarcastic and kind of bitchy, like she said. And I love her for that. She was one of my favorites. And I, I think that they are just like the perfect mesh of couple where she is always going to be that like extra high end bratty kind of person. And he's just this chill, go with the flow kind of guy. And that pairing is like my favorite. Well, and I appreciated that she added that, you know, we didn't struggle on the show, but we've struggled moving in together. And truly that was one of the bigger challenges in the start of my marriage was figuring out how to live with the person. But I can't remember if it was on the show or one of the very many opinion pieces I watched <laughs> after the fact, but someone said one of the best pieces. Yeah, it was Alexa at the reunion. She said one of the yeah. best pieces of advice she got was to not let roommate problems be marriage problems. I loved that piece And of I was advice. like, amen to uh-huh. that. And yeah. so I'm like, let's all remember that, especially yeah. years later being yeah. young. I loved it so much. Nancy and Bartise, I knew she was going to say yes. And I'm so glad he said no first. They are not great together. I know she wanted it to work, but they were literally not a match from day one. No. And it's sad. Like, I wish them both the best. I don't think it's good for them long term. I think they need different things. And she's at a different point in her life. And so I think part of it is that like, as unfortunate as it sounds, I do think part of her was like, well, if I can't make this work, like, I don't know how I'm going to find my partner. And like, yeah, so sad. And And like, you're still so young, baby. I'm like, Like, wait, it's okay. It's okay. You'll find, you'll Mm -hmm. find what you need. And, but I think that that is what she was holding on to. I'll send you the article later so you can read it. But so they kind of, and I mean, cause I can make this a whole love is blind episode, but They kind of talked about the impacts of the family being integrated into the show. And they're one of the only reality shows that impacts not just the couple that's involved that is willing to be on the show, but it also impacts a lot of the family who didn't even know until their kid came back from the show that they were on it. So that part is a whole conversation, but absolutely collectively, and please someone from Netflix hear this, every season moving forward should not have anyone younger than 30 on it. No, period, period, period. They have not processed enough. If Nancy had been with someone closer to her age, they probably would have worked out. If literally Bartiz, if it was Bartiz six years from now, like it could have been a whole different version. A hundred percent, a hundred percent. Special shout out to Nancy's brother who was absolutely (laughs) destroyed. Absolutely destroyed. They were so funny. So first of all, I'll preface this with saying I come from a Hispanic family, some very Mexican people in my family. And I need to tell you that that entire family reaction is 
every family event I ever go to. (laughs) It is so extra. Someone is always yelling. Someone is so passionate. Someone wants to fight someone and the mom is holding them back. And it's just this passion and I'm watching it unfold. And Brian and I are just cracking up. And I said, oh my God, they're being so Mexican (laughs) right now because that is what my family does. And it is insane. And I love them for it. It was like embarrassingly triggering for me because I've been on the other end of that kind of conversation. But I love how she kind of wrapped it up at the reunion where they were speaking up for her and when she couldn't and like being her voice because she was kind of just shutting down. And I love them all for it. I did really want her to have moments to process with him because I I was was, yelling at the family to be like, give her a second. Give her some time. Like Uh give her 10 minutes. Like you can yell at him all you want. But like, I think he wasn't doing it to hurt her. He was doing it was what's best for them and, and like and yep that's when i'm here for it a hundred percent okay well, we could obviously well, go on for days and clearly have more opinions to share on this but clearly we need to switch gears so that this isn't an entire episode on just our recap of the season <gasps> why so, <laughs> let's talk about this article you stumbled upon Yes. So, you know, I'm obsessed with learning everything about, you know, your personality type, your work type, your love language, all of the things. And so when I came across this other one that talked about the types of problem solvers that are in a team, that are in a business, I clicked open super fast. And I want to share with you all the breakdown of the four types of what they're calling innovators, but I'm going to call them problem solvers because I feel like the way that this is talked about in a couple of other articles is literally how you approach problem solving naturally. And so basically the concept of this conversation is to look at your team Not just in the sense of, is it diverse enough by people and by perspectives and by roles, but also is it cognitively diverse? And I think that that is such an amazing conversation to have because there are things that are just like innate and natural and quote unquote easy for some people to do because of their cognitive tendencies that are there and can help you if you don't have those things. And I think ultimately, whenever someone has asked us, you know, how have we made it work this long? We've said before, like, we're similar in a lot of ways, but we're also different in a lot of ways. And we like make up where the other person lacks. And I think a lot of that is cognitively, we show up in different ways. Want to learn exactly step by step how to get paid to generate leads in your business? I've kept these details to myself for far too long. I'm ready to spill everything and give you the exact steps that help me generate tens of thousands of qualified leads and millions in low-ticket digital product sales. I won't just show you what I did, but teach you how you can do it too. I'm talking not just how to create low-ticket digital products, but also showing you how to use them strategically to generate leads for your other existing or future offers. I'm sharing it all at bossproject.com slash jumpstart, including exactly how I made $8,033 and generated 277 leads my very first month selling digital products. Find out more at bossproject.com slash jumpstart. When it comes to hiring, don't go searching for the one. Just meet your match with Indeed. Get unparalleled access to job seekers with over 350 million unique monthly visitors globally, according to Indeed data, and an extended reach through Glassdoor. I love that Indeed makes it easy to hire because I'm busy enough already. When we've hired in the past, the process was full of unqualified applicants. With Indeed, we can target the right candidates for the right position. 
Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. In the minute I've been talking to you, 23 hires were made on Indeed, according to Indeed data worldwide. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash strategy hour. Just go to Indeed.com slash strategy hour right now and support our show by seeing you heard about Indeed on this podcast. Indeed.com slash strategy hour. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Money issues are a common stressor in any relationship. Monarch Money is the top-rated personal finance app that can get you and your partner on the same page without any extra cost. Monarch has built-in collaboration features, so together you can see your finances, budget, and get insights on your cash flow. It's the easiest way to manage any household finances. I've tried other finance apps in the past, and they didn't work the way I wanted them to. I don't want to stress over finances. Monarch is the top-rated all-in-one personal finance app. It gives you a comprehensive view of all your accounts, investments, transactions, and more. Create custom budgets, set goals, and collaborate with your partner. And now get an extended 30-day free trial when you go to monarchmoney.com strategy. Monarch has a tool that allows you to easily import your data from Mint and keep all of your tags and categories. Monarch's simple, intuitive design makes it so easy to get set up, customize, and use. Monarch prioritizes my privacy, and they'll never sell my data to third parties. After trying out Monarch for myself, I understand why it's the top-rated personal finance app. And right now, get an extended 30-day free trial when you go to monarchmoney.com strategy. That's M-O-N-A-R-C-H-M-O-N-E-Y dot com strategy for your extended 30-day free trial. And so I want to talk about the four different types. I would love to hear what type you think you are, even though I know what type you are. Yeah. I want to hear your okay. perspectives. But as I break down these types, do not get them confused with human design. So one of them has the same name. So just because you're this type in human design, it absolutely means something completely different in this realm. So just go into that with that concept. Okay. All right. So I'm going to tell you about the four different types, and then I'm going to tell you the frequency of these types in business and the typical industry and or department that they usually sit in. So I think this conversation is going to be really helpful for people who are looking at growing their team in 2023, because I know we have when we've sat there looking at growing our team. Yes, the conversation is a lot about what role do we need to fill or what role do we want? But you and I started you know, about a year into hiring, really having the conversation of what does the personality of this person need to be in order to work in this role? Yeah, I think it's really important that we look at not just skills and not just culture fit, but also the kind of personality it's going to take for someone to thrive in a role. And it was funny, we recently had a conversation in our coaching with our incubator students and someone was talking about, well, how do you set expectations, say with an admin who's checking your inbox around what's reasonable for like frequency and checking when maybe we're out of office for a longer period of time. And it dawned on me that so much of why Jen thrives in the role she does is not necessary because some of the stuff, just nothing against admin specific skills, but a lot of them are basic skills. But what makes her thrive is her personality that's encapsulating the skills. And so if you want to look at your own team, really thinking about 
what about them makes them thrive in their role. And if you're thinking about hiring someone, what kind of personality do they need? So for instance, if you're looking to hire someone in sales, hiring someone who's an introvert, who, you know, hates technology. (laughs) Yeah. It's not necessarily going to thrive as much as someone who loves to be the center of the conversation, loves to like really interject their own thoughts and ideas. And we can't be naive to those things because someone can have all the skills, but the wrong personality and they won't thrive in the role. And this is a lot of what this conversation talks about. Okay. So each style has a role to play in a team. And here are the four with a little quip about who they are. Just after this like tiny sentence, I would love for you to kind of guess what you think that you are, but then I'll go into the definitions. Okay. So there are generators. They start with finding new problems. They're best at starting with finding new problems. There are conceptualizers who thoroughly define problems. There are optimizers who evaluate ideas and select the solutions. And then there are implementers, the people who implement the selected solution. I could go a couple of different ways, but without you doing too much into it, I would think I'm a third type. The optimizer evaluating ideas and selecting solutions? I think so. Okay. Okay. So I don't disagree with you. Okay, great. (laughs) I was like, I think I back and forth between conceptualizers and optimizers, but I'll also tell you why. Anyways, we'll get to that. Okay. So a quick kind of run through of the definitions for you guys, if you want some more examples, if you're like, I don't know, I don't know, because I kind of was volleyballing back and forth, but I'm pretty clear now. Okay. Generators find new problems and ideate based on their own direct experience for them. Physical contact with and involvement with in the real world alerts them to unresolved gaps and inconsistencies, problems that might be worth addressing as opportunities and possibilities. However, generators only find these problems at a high level. They don't necessarily gravitate towards articulating a clear understanding of a problem specific or its potential solutions. Generators are the rarest for an organization to have, but some industries are more common than others. School teachers, 56%, academics, 38%, and artists, 34%. So, okay, conceptualizers. They define the problem and prefer to understand it through abstract analysis rather than through direct experience. Like generators, they like to ideate, but in contrast, they prefer to model the problem clearly, integrating the various parts, relationships, and insights together, which can then be used as a basis for one or more solutions. So this is the second rarest type. Departments such as, for conceptualizers, people sit in typically organization development, strategic planning, and market research. Okay, then we have optimizers. Optimizers evaluate ideas and suggest solutions. They prefer to systematically examine all possible alternatives in order to implement the best solution among the known options. Most common departments, engineering, manufacturing, and finance. Okay. So checks out. (laughs) And I already have ideas of where I think some of the other team might fit. I agree. Okay, so then we have implementers, the final type. Implementers put the solutions to work. They enthusiastically and sometimes impatiently take action. (laughs) I know exactly who this Uh is. Experimenting with new solutions before mentally testing them and then make adjustments based on the outcome of those experiments. Most common to have in an organization, the departments are IT operations, customer relations, and administration. Well, I can say without a doubt with we have all four, 100%. 100% we do. 100% we do. And I can put people in buckets very yep. easily. 
So I absolutely identify with the generator type and I feel like I am more supported in being a generator with you backing me up as the optimizer. And I think those two things have been the core of like what's been really helpful for us moving forward, especially as we've been growing a team. So the concept is, is that as a founder and a business owner and a CEO, or even the head of a department sometimes, you will ebb and flow between types. Yeah. There will be natural. I've had to show up in yes, all of them. Yes. Absolutely. There will be natural types that you fall into. The best news of all of this is that skills that each type bring are absolutely trainable. And even as simple as there were studies that they showed, and I'll give you an example of one of them moving a little bit later, where literally you can have a group of people working on a problem, a project in business, and they're struggling to do the thing. They're in analysis paralysis, or they're in another stage of the process. And you can literally go to one person on that team, even if they aren't a generator, for example, you can train them on how to role play as a generator. And that enough is enough for them to pretend to be that person to get through this exercise. Well, I think that one of the things that really I gravitated towards when you mentioned it was how they look at the problem specifically. And one looking at real world examples, and then the other one, I don't know how you described it exactly, but how it was more the abstract and direct yeah yeah more abstract more hypothetical I guess Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. because I think in that sense Jared and Jen will point out Mm -hmm. real world scenarios all the time to the point of as the optimizer I sometimes get frustrated because I'm like I don't want to know about one more problem stop throwing me me. yeah but they come out of very real world scenarios of like I was in the middle of doing this other thing and this thing popped up and I noticed that versus Caitlin, I think she sits in the more like planning aspect Mm -hmm, of it mm -hmm. and will imagine situations that may not have happened at all, which is also essential. Which is absolutely essential. And I think what's really cool is when you have people on your team who bring ideas in a different way or who look at the idea in a different way, if you do have a a cognitively diverse team, then you're able to move through the process of innovation. That's ultimately what we're all after within business, right? Is innovating to sustain, innovating to grow, innovating to create new products and having various thought points or ways of thinking on your team is really helpful. Another example that was given that solidified me as a generator is, so the reason a big part of, like you said, generators like to see real world examples and they, I do love like researching and like trying to find information basically to back up either my concern, my question, my idea. But one of the right off the cuff examples is that a generator will do in an organization is when they have an idea of a problem or like something that they want to create. One of the first steps they do is create a survey to get feedback or like ask questions for feedback. And I'm like, I fucking love a survey. <laughs> like, it's my favorite. And anytime you and I are talking, if you pose a question, like my first like three to five questions is more like, okay, well, what did last year say? Well, what did this, what were the results of this? Okay. Well, what, like, and I do digging through facts to try to find a new creative solution. But the thing that I think comes up specifically in that is that you're not necessarily even in the analyzation, you're just trying to figure out what facts are relevant. Whereas I literally am sitting in the, 
let's look at the facts and let's analyze them. But you're identifying what I should analyze. Yes. And, yes. you know, in the earlier stages of business, I think we both tried to do all of them. All 100%. of the steps. And that was much harder because you do, like you're saying, you have to switch your way of thinking along the way. But I think this really illustrates why we internally, there's very little things that come out of our corner of the universe that we didn't have everyone touch in some capacity. And I think it's because we've become even more mindful of not just skill set wise, but like, where are people even going to find problems and then identify potential solutions. We're putting people in the best scenario to thrive with the information we have today, given whatever specific thing we're looking at. Okay. So some key takeaways, and then I want to walk you through a framework. So one, I hope you heard within my breakdown of the styles that styles are not evenly distributed within an organization, within the hiring pool. There will be people who have innate skills who will seek certain roles. If you don't know how they problem solve, then you're not going to like fully develop them. So it's important to try to evenly distribute problem solving skills within your team. Now, If you've been the type of founder CEO who has sat there and said, it feels like we get a lot done, but I feel like I'm the only one. And I say I for people who only have one CEO, because it's rare that you and I do, but I know you have said this as a collective we. I feel like I'm the only one coming up with new ideas. I want to hear new ideas from my team. I feel like I'm the only one developing strategy and coming up with a plan and then sharing the plan. And then I have my team who will do it, but I feel alone in coming up with ideas. Here's why. Because it turns out that a lot of us are really good at implementing and a lot of job seekers are implementers. So in this study of over 100,000 people, only 17% were generators, but 41% are implementers. Yeah, I think Jen can easily switch gears and go and implement role. But if she sees a problem, she will stop and revert back to the other type. Yep. Yep. But it's interesting. I think even if that's more common, like you're saying, we need to be paying attention to the opportunities for development and the thing. And so it's like, how can you showcase to someone let's not just finish this project, but let's also figure out ways to improve upon it or make it better the next time or do it, you know, the next time we do it for another client or the next time we launch it or the next, whatever the next time is. Well, I have something on that. So, okay. So first let me walk you through this framework. So it's an SMRT innovation framework and it's four steps. It starts with structure. So first achieve the right ratio of innovation styles. Take a look next time in the hiring deck or for the role of what specific problem solving skill that you think should be innate to that person. Not that you couldn't train them on others, but which one do you want to start with? And then you model it. So demonstrate the importance of the innovation style top down. So having a conversation with your team members about what problem solving style they are, and then set up ways for them to succeed in that model. You reward, create incentives for problem solving, which I want to talk about. And then train. So you create opportunities to learn about all styles. So this question you can ask if you are a manager, a CEO, a founder who is stuck feeling like your team, your organization isn't coming up with new ideas or isn't moving forward. So you need to ask yourself during which stage of innovation. So I always say this, chase the breadcrumbs. This is me like 
finding facts and backing up with real stats, right? It's too overwhelming to say, I don't feel like we're coming up with new ideas. I feel like I'm the only one strategizing here. Instead of just saying that big umbrella statement, really chase the breadcrumbs and ask yourself which stage of innovation. So the next time you want to refine your offer or launch it or go after a new clientele base, which part of that process does your team get stuck in? And that actual stage, you've got to then correlate with it, the innovator type, the problem solving type. So if like no one's bringing any new ideas to the table, then you don't have enough generators on the team. If you're stuck in analysis paralysis and you can't put together an actual plan to move forward, then you don't have enough optimizers on the team. If you come up with a plan and you create it and no one's doing it, you don't have enough implementers on the team, so on and so forth. So this said, for example, organizations that need to get to market So maybe you have a new offer, you're shifting gears, whatever it might be, you're going to hire implementers and incentivize implementation behaviors. You want to see fast action, you want to get it done. But organizations that need product improvements, so you're already in business, you're not new anymore, you're sustaining and you're growing, hire optimizers and incentivize optimization behaviors and so on. Well, I feel like we have the most room for improvement in the middle. I agree. 100% agree. I think we're good on generators and we're good on implementers. I feel like you're a great optimizer. Caitlin's a great, what is it? Conceptualizer. But we're we're the only middle. And so you're the only middle. I feel like we end up being the bottleneck. I agree. 100% agree. 100% agree. But this to me gave me the most like, oh, this is what I then need to do differently. and, uh, And it's been hard to articulate in the past you know, every three to six months a year, depending on how fast we're trying to grow the team, Emily and I will sit down and talk about what roles we're looking for and and what we feel like we need. And, you know, for a while, I've been like, I feel like there's still stuff like on my plate that I don't know, like, why is my plate still so full? And in the last year, we've done a great job of like, we got a lot of the like, implementer stuff off my plate. So I can sit in this sick case, more in the optimizer seat, but that's still more than one job. And so it's interesting to think about, well, if you were to hire another person to have this type, what role are you then seeking? And less focused on the actual role so much as the like, what kind of ideation do you need internally? So the cool thing is, is like I said earlier, each innovation style is a cognitive state and not a fixed personality trait and can absolutely be learned from training. And it says here, in fact, a leader specific style is less important than their ability to shift as needed during the flow of the innovation process, because I've definitely had to lean way more into my implementer stage in the last few months with because of how fast we've grown. So here's an example I want to walk you through because I'm a generator and I like real life examples to help me understand a concept. So here I am doing it for you. Okay. So in one department we studied, a new fire chief and his lieutenants felt that they had antiquated views and lacked a vision or strategy for the future. As mostly implementers, the team was struggling to create a new strategy, a task that tends to be a conceptualizer work. Through modeling behavior by the new fire chief, however, the team established its vision of becoming an elite department. They started by the new fire chief developing a strategy questionnaire to distribute to department members as a fact-finding tool, modeling generator behavior. 
Leading a two-day workshop, the new fire chief and his lieutenants worked with new departments or with department members to develop a long-term vision supported by six pillars, modeling conceptualization and optimization. Committees were then created to drive each action forward, modeling implementation. So that's how it can be represented within just one strategy, new vision, beginning of a year kind of planning and implementation process. Yeah, I definitely want to figure out more ways you can take this concept and help utilize it to that is coming in episode two. All right, let's talk about it. Okay, so I'm going to wrap this up. There's just two more things I want to say. So this is kind of the tease for our next episode. Because employees are rewarded for doing their job well, which even if you don't want to just reward good behavior, that's what everyone does because it's the easiest thing to do and it's what you should feel like you should do. Because employees are rewarded for doing their job well, they tend to go out of their way to avoid problems, which are outside of their job description. This also means they go out of their way to avoid finding new problems, (laughs) particularly problems that are more complex, require them to do more work, or require them to work with different departments. Our field studies suggest that there is a clear solution to this limitation. Companies should make problem finding attractive for employees by offering rewards for this activity beyond and in addition to just providing them with the freedom to do it. And in our next episode, I'm going to break down another article that talked about a company who does this really well. So maybe we can get ideas from them. But I want to end with this. So most businesses and business school, all of that training typically steers future corporate leaders towards a preference for optimization and implementation. Why? Because they tend to present future leaders with problems that were already solved. Think about if you went to business school, everything you learned was based off an example that already had happened. They tend to present future problems that have already been solved. So the frameworks are retroactively fitted to problem-solving combinations. Dating back to 1973, management thought leader, a someone, showed that managers spend most of their time doing short-term tasks. In other words, in our own research found, most managers are implementers. But that can change with the ideas I'm going to present in the next episode. So keep listening. And if you have an idea for different problem solving strategies on how to train, how to ask your team members where they fit, how to kind of create a culture environment to harvest some of these skills, I'm all ears. I want to hear it. Let's talk about it. Head over to Instagram at Boss Project and let me know your thoughts about this episode. Looking to elevate your brand without the headache? Join the co-op, our creative template shop membership. With thousands of easy-to-customize templates, all crafted to seamlessly fit your business aesthetics, we make nurturing leads and driving sales effortless. We're talking serious impact and seriously simple creation. Become a member now at creativeshopcoop.com and transform your business today. That's creativeshopcoop.com. Hey, a few quick favors before you leave. I'd love if you'd share today's episode, send it to a friend who needs to hear it and post on social. You can show us where you're listening from, your favorite takeaway, or why someone else should listen. Be sure to tag me at Abigail Says and at Boss Project so we can share it. Okay, second favor, to get podcast updates and all the behind the scenes news from Boss Project, I'd love if you'd join my VIP list. Just head to bossproject.com slash sign up to make sure I have all your contact details.
really love this show, it would mean so much to me if you'd leave a rating and review. It not only helps more listeners find the show, but allows us to bring on quality sponsors so we can keep bringing you this valuable content for free. Thanks so much for listening. Until next time.